0: just going to put in the website, toppletheracists.org. Ah, it's brought up a, a website with a map of Britain on it, and lots of little pinpoints. Topple the Racists, take down statues and monuments in the UK that celebrate slavery and racism. We believe these statues and other memorials to slave owners and colonialists need to be removed so that Britain can finally face the truth about its past and how it shapes our present. I'm just zooming in on one in the middle. Cecil Rhodes, Oxford. Oxford Oxford claims to be in support of creating an equal space for students of all backgrounds, but how can they with glorified white supremacists as a figurehead for one of their colleges? Just moving further west, Shrewsbury statue to Robert Clive, otherwise known as Clive of India, is celebrated on a plinth in the main square of Shrewsbury. Clive played a central role in seizing control of a large swathe of Bangladesh, Bhutan, India, Maldives, Myanmar, Pakistan, another one of these. Birmingham, Robert Peel statue in Edgbaston. Robert Peel created the modern concept of policing, which has disproportionately targeted the poor and ethnic minorities worldwide for centuries. Controversial? Bristol. Edward Colston was a slave trader. Now his statue is underwater. Blub. On Sunday, a statue of slave trader and philanthropist Edward Colston, which had stood in Bristol for 125 years, was torn down by protesters at a Black Lives Matter protest.
1: It's very, very significant. Not because of just what it says about race, but it talks about the nature of our politics right now. This was about Colston, but that Colston statue became the focal point for so many frustrations, not just black people, but white people tearing a statue down.
0: In the days that followed, statues have been falling like dominoes around the world. And a new discussion has begun about the people we choose to commemorate in our public spaces. Meanwhile, back in Bristol, A campaign to replace Colston with a statue of a very different figure from the city's past is gathering momentum.
2: He's a very private man. He's very humble. He's very quiet. He actually cried when the legislation was passed.
0: Who should now take Colston's place in Bristol? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, a tale of two statues...
1: a friend of mine sent me the front page of a brazilian newspaper it's on the front page
0: you're kidding yeah what was their take on it i couldn't read it <laughs> <laughs> marvin reese has been the elected mayor of bristol since 2016
1: it is an incredibly large moment and i've been saying you know whether you agree with it or not it's an incredible moment did a
0: small part of you cheer as you watched?
1: Well, I wouldn't say I, I cheered. I just recognised the moment. And uh, what I would say is that the statue has been in the front of me. And I don't mourn us not having a statue to a slaver in the middle of the city with a plaque on it that describes him as a wise, and virtuous son of the city. I, I don't think... It takes too many steps of imagination to step into the shoes of someone who's looking at a place of honor being given to someone who would have abused, exploited, kidnapped, enslaved, people that look like yourself. And also even worse than that, the danger of it just being there as background noise that you've just grown accustomed to, the unquantifiable price it pays for you and and the the difficult to define impact it has on your relationship uh, with the city in which you were born and grew up.
4: I couldn't believe my eyes when I saw, saw that statue fall on Sunday. It was uh, unbelievable.
0: Will Humphreys is the Times' South West correspondent, and growing up near Bristol, he was well acquainted with the name Colston.
4: There's been lots of protests, but you just don't expect... and I, well, I don't think it's really happened in British history where a statue like that has been just pulled down by a huge group of people without any interference. In broad daylight, it's quite incredible. How big a name
0: is Colston? If you're growing up in Bristol, how much are you likely to come across it?
4: The name Edward Colston is really ubiquitous across the the city. Anyone who went to see a concert, a comedy performance or a show at the Colston Hall would have come across the name. Anyone who walked through the city centre would have seen Colston Tower. The name Colston is attached to numerous streets and schools in the city and the largest stained glass window in the city's cathedral is dedicated to him so it's almost impossible to grow up in bristol or live in bristol without coming into contact with the name colston on an almost
1: daily basis the founding fathers of the city really set out to honor this man and stitch him into the fabric of bristol
0: was there something about the acceptance of it just being there that you found problematic
1: Oh yeah, it just becomes background noise. I mean that's the worst kind of insult. But I, I suppose when I'm reaching out now and I'm thinking how would I compare that? It's like I think it was Malcolm X who said, At least in the South, they're honest with me, you yeah. know. When racism and, and forms of abuse and a pressure to stand up and call you to your face it's easy to deal with it much more dangerous is the the kind of the subtle the unarticulated the stuff that's just stitched into the system and invisibly extracts a price from you and that's what we had with this statue it just sat there extracting a price from relationships within the city it's like the slow death we never knew
0: So tell us about the man at the centre of the row. Images of the statue being brought down have gone around the globe, but who was the man the statue commemorated? What do we know about Edward Colston?
4: Edward Colston was the son of a long line of merchants in the Bristol area, stretching back into the 15th and 16th centuries. In 1680, he follows a number of his family members into becoming a member of the Royal Africa Company. And he rises to become the highest position in that company. And he's a member of the Royal Africa Company for 12 years. And it's during those 12 years that around 82,000 slaves were transported from West Africa to the Americas and the Caribbean, and around 20,000 died during those journeys.
0: I mean, 20,000 is an alarming number. What do we know about how those slaves were treated?
4: It was a system which treated the enslaved Africans as cargo goods which could be thrown overboard if they had, I mean, be seen at the time as being spoiled by disease or injury or just the need to make sure that rations lasted the journey. And there are examples in the historical record of companies claiming against their insurance for the loss of slaves that had to be thrown overboard.
0: Had to be thrown overboard.
4: It was an incredibly dehumanising system.
0: I mean, I understand they were branded with the initials RAC.
4: Yeah, so the Royal African Company was set up by the royal family in the UK. It was something that the Duke of York at the time was the actual governor of. And the slaves for the Royal African Company would be branded with DY for Duke of York. And they would also... Later on, be branded with the, the initials RAC to show that they were the goods of the Royal African Company.
0: So, literally, like cattle, completely dehumanising.
4: Yeah, completely.
0: was Colston viewed in his own lifetime? What did people say about him?
4: Colston, towards the end of his life, devoted a huge amount of his time and money to giving to charitable causes, which in today's money is around £25 million. And most of that goes to the setting up of schools and armhouses for the old and poor houses. And it has to be remembered that despite his charity, it was a very specific form of charity. He was a high Anglican. He didn't like Catholicism. And so there were a number of stipulations that were put on his charity that meant only certain people could accept his school places or places in his armhouses. But nonetheless, in his time and after his death, he was seen as basically the greatest benefactor towards the city of Bristol that they had been in its history?
1: Now, historians would say, well, we have to be a bit careful about that. It's not unbound philanthropy. My white heritage family had been in the city for centuries, and my great great back grandfather, born in a workhouse in Bristol, many white people in Bristol did not benefit from the many billions of pounds worth of business that were flowing around in Bristol. So not just as a black person descended from... Jamaican enslaved Africans, but also a person of white working class, as you'd say, peasant poor British heritage, I'm a little bit sceptical of celebrating the lives of wealthy Bristolians and British people who I don't think really serve the interests of my white heritage family.
0: The statue of Edward Colston had been the source of tortured debate in Bristol for many years. In 2018, it was proposed that a plaque detailing Colston's links with the slave trade, as well as the fact that his philanthropy was only destined for particular members of society, should be added to the statue. But this was met with resistance, particularly from those in charge of maintaining his charitable legacy, and ultimately, nothing happened. Until this Sunday.
4: I think the fact that the wording of a small plaque being added to the statue had gotten into such difficulties made people think that they would never had a realistic chance of removing the statue by democratic means.
0: Because a lot of people in the last couple of days have said they didn't agree with him as a character, but they disagreed with the way the statue was brought down and that it should have been done through democratic means. But it sounds like that wasn't really working.
4: That is what the many people in Bristol who felt that something needed to be done to either contextualise or remove the Colston statue said that the democratic system was not working for them.
0: What are people in Bristol saying about it now, from the people you've spoken to?
4: Well, it was very interesting when I went down to the scene the next morning and debates were raging between Bristolians about the rights and wrongs of what had been done. It wasn't easily demarcated lines. I listened in on a debate between a mixed-race man who told me he was half Guyanese. He had lived in Bristol all his life and he was outraged that the statue had been brought down. He thought that it should be there to teach the people of Bristol about what Edward Colston had done. I also talked to many other people who felt it had to come down and that people who had been calling it for it to come down had not been listened to for too long.
0: On Thursday, Bristol City Council retrieved the statue from the harbour. It was taken to a secure location where it'll be held until it can be exhibited in a
4: museum. I think that most people, now that it's fallen, are of the view that it would be right and fitting that this part of Bristol's history is now commemorated in a museum. Now Bristol has an opportunity to decide what it wants to represent the city's past, but also its future.
1: It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com.
0: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices It's been a remarkable week for Bristol. With the Colston statue now removed, there's a vacant plinth in the city centre and the proposals for who should replace Colston have centred on a very different story in Bristol's history. Hello Mandy, How are you? Hello, hi Kerry, thanks so much for doing this. It's been a heavy few days I think. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> Kerry Andriana is feeling a little overwhelmed by the week's news and by the renewed interest in her grandfather.
2: I'm a handbag designer from Bristol. I run a handbag brand called Amshella, and I'm the granddaughter of Roy Hackett.
0: Along with his colleagues, civil rights campaigner Roy Hackett, now aged 91, played a pivotal role in the UK's civil rights movement in the early 60s. And this week, tens of thousands of people have signed petitions calling for those campaigners to be honoured in Colston's place how old were you when you realized that your grandfather was a remarkable man
2: he's a very private man he's very humble he's very quiet around the age of 15 16 i became aware that he was someone of stature but i just still at the time i didn't really understand it my grandfather had set up the west indians association with some of his colleagues owen henry audley heavens prince brown Guy Bailey and Paul Stevenson, to assist people of colour. One day, they were approached by a man. Who had been denied a position as a bus driver, working for the Omnibus bus company here in Bristol. As more people came forward with similar stories, it became clear. The bus company had a policy then of not employing blacks or Asians or anyone of ethnic minorities. In America at that time, you had the civil rights movement going on. Martin Luther King and Malcolm X, it was that same type of era.
0: So, inspired by Rosa Parks and the Montgomery bus boycott in Alabama just a few years earlier, they came up with a plan. 18 year old Guy Bailey had just arrived from Jamaica and wanted to work on the buses. So, the group arranged for him to respond to an advertisement for a bus conductor in Bristol's Evening Post and document what happened. In 2013, Bailey told the BBC that
1: when he arrived for his interview... When I got into the reception, the lady at the time, I can remember, said to the manager, oh, the, the two o'clock appointment is here, something to that effect, and, and he's black. And I heard the manager said something like, tell him all the vacancies are, are, are taken and there's no more. And that was that. I was very disappointed.
2: So they staged a boycott of the buses.
0: Bristol's 3,000-strong West Indian population joined in. And then the students joined them.
2: And wherever they were going, they would just walk. Until... It gained national momentum.
0: The late Tony Benn was the MP at the time. Speaking in 2014, he said...
1: When Paul Stevenson got in touch with me, I promised to support him. And uh, I rang up Harold Wilson just before he became Prime Minister, and Harold, as I expected, fully supported it.
0: Under pressure, the company and the union tried to defend the policy.
2: Well, we don't want them on here. That's the main reason. The point is that whilst we can obtain white labour in this city, we intend to go on engaging white labour rather than coloured labour. But then... The bus company was losing income.
0: And it lasted for months. It
2: lasted for a good several months.
0: And finally, in August 1963...
2: The bus company relented and then allowed for the employment of people of colour.
0: At the time, there were no laws in Britain barring employers from racial discrimination, but the Bristol bus boycott started the ball rolling.
2: It then went on to transform... The lessons that had been learned to then become the Race Relations Act 1965, which was introduced by Harold Wilson.
0: The first of two Race Relations Acts to be enacted in the 1960s. A huge moment in British civil rights history.
4: Funny crowd, the British, will shout our heads off demanding fair play in a game of football. But outside, some of us stand by watching others being kicked around just because of their colour or race. Racial discrimination is an ugly business. Most of us feel strongly, but that's as far as it goes. But now there's a law to back us up.
0: And how did your grandfather describe what happened? Was he very proud that they'd changed legislation in the end?
2: Very proud. He actually cried when the legislation was passed. Was it something that was talked
0: about around Bristol? Have the bus boycotts lived on in local memory?
2: I think it did for a while, and I think then it died down. And I think it's resurrected because, obviously, the racial history of Bristol has erupted again.
0: It was such a a significant national moment and it did end up changing Mm -hmm. the course of British law. Is Is there any form of memorial to it in Bristol? Is it commemorated?
2: No, not to my knowledge. Between the collective group of men, they have won several awards and things like that. But I don't know, not to my knowledge, that there's any type of commemoration or anything like that.
0: No statues? No.
2: There is a mural by Byron Street, and it's a very, very nice portrait.
0: Painted by a local artist over the past few years, the murals of the Seven Saints of the St Paul's District of Bristol celebrate local civil rights campaigners. For people who want to tell a different part of the city's history, it's a start. But another name still looms large. Colston's name is all over Bristol, while the civil Mm -hmm. rights movement has relatively little to remember it around the city. Are you hopeful that that might
2: change? There's two ways to look at that. Because you can look at it in one way to say it's past, and we can look to move forward from it. And if we keep revisiting it, that it would never go away. And then there's also the other side to say it should be remembered because it is a part of your history of Bristol, it's part of the fabric of Bristol, and it was such a monumental event. So it just depends on which way the city thinks is best to overcome the current challenges that culminated in what happened on the weekend.
0: Yeah. I mean, growing up, were you very aware of the the name of Edward Colston?
2: Well, I went to Colston Girls' School. So, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I went to Colston Girls' School, which is an amazing educational establishment. Yeah. It's amazing, amazing. I have nothing but good memories of my time at school.
0: So do you find yourself actually being quite grateful for his legacy, for the philanthropy he sort of did during his lifetime?
2: No. no. I could never be grateful, even though, obviously, I know where you're going, is that I benefited from his philanthropy work because I went to Colston Girls School. But as a woman of colour, no, I would never be grateful because that money that he was able to then disseminate around the city came from slavery. I think that it's wrong to only want to promote him in that good Benefactor light as a philanthropist because that's who he might have became, but that's not who he was.
0: You're right, you know, it is a complicated relationship. G- given that complicated background, how did you feel when you saw the statue coming down?
2: I understand it. I understand it as a woman of colour. I understand why it was so painful to keep seeing it there as a constant reminder of your own ancestry.
0: While you were growing up, the name Colston would have been everywhere, mm. including on your school.
2: Do you yeah.
0: do you hope that for future generations they'll know the names of your grandfather, Roy Hackett, and Paul Stevenson and their colleagues as much as they know of Edward Colston?
2: Well, I think that goes without saying. With the removal of the
0: statue, do you worry about preserving the history of the city.
1: No, I don't worry about the history of the city. The statues don't tell us history. Museums tell us history. Books tell us history. The statues are there to honour people. And actually, the story of Bristol is now captured in what happened to that statue as well. That date will go down as part of Bristol's story and part of Bristol's journey.
0: Is that an important new layer of history?
1: I think it's it's very, very significant. Not, Not because of just what it says about race, but it talks about the nature of our politics right now. This was about Colston, but that Colston statue became the focal point for so many frustrations, not just black people, it was white people tearing the statue down. That statue became a focal point for lots of frustrations with the political system that people believe cannot or will not be a channel for their frustrations. And historians need to understand that. And dare I say, politicians need to understand it. You can't just stand up saying it's mindless vandalism without stepping up to try and understand
0: Since Sunday, statues around the world have been taken down, either by local authorities or torn down by protesters, as citizens seek to have a greater say about those venerated in public spaces. Tonight, protesters in Richmond, Virginia, tearing down a statue of Jefferson Davis. Breaking overnight, the statue of Christopher Columbus beheaded in
1: Boston.
4: This study of King Leopold II of Belgium was quietly removed by workmen today.
1: And Robert Milligan was today removed from his prominent place outside the Museum of London Docklands.
3: Breaking news out here on the South Lawn of the state capitol. They have just torn down the statue of Christopher Columbus.
0: You've been listening to Stories of Our Times with me, Manveen Rana, and my guests, the Times-Southwest correspondent, Will Humphreys, the Mayor of Bristol, Marvin Rees, and the granddaughter of civil rights campaigner Roy Hackett, Kerry Andreana. You can read more of Will's work at thetimes.co.uk or in print. The producers were James Shield and Edward Drummond. The executive producer is Leo Hornack, and the deputy executive producer is Poppy Damon. Sound design was by Carla Patella. Music by Breakmaster Cylinder. If you liked what you heard, please do leave us a review. You can subscribe for free. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast and more. And in these uncertain times, you can keep up to date and well informed on the coronavirus and so much more every day with a digital subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times. Visit thetimes.co.uk slash subscribe to find out more.